right, morning. How we doing? Good, good. If you have your Bibles, grab those. Habakkuk chapter 3. We are going to cover a great portion of Habakkuk this morning, actually up through verse 16. Um, and I know what you're thinking, how in the world? I mean, it's got two to three verses gets us like 30, 40 minutes. We might talk faster. Um, no, but, uh, but honestly, we're going to start to land the plane as, we, uh, as it pertains to Habakkuk. We're going to start to kind of uh, bring that in. And so we'll cover through verse 16 this morning, um, and then we will finish uh, next week, uh, the remainder of Habakkuk, as we look forward to pressing into um, uh, Christmas and looking and preparing our hearts uh, for that glorious time of the year. And so Habakkuk 3 ones where we'll start, and to get us there, um, I, I was just thinking this week, I was just kind of praying and looking at what's taking place in the Scriptures, taking place so far in the totality of the story of Habakkuk, and uh, this thought just kind of just hit me, and I just couldn't shake it. But there's a, a big difference between being in awe of someone and being in awe of what someone can do. A big, big difference of being in awe of someone and then being in awe of what that person can do. And the two are not the same. Uh, let, let me try to illustrate real, real fast what I mean. Um, so about a year ago, uh, Eric and I and our families had the opportunity to go to a Stephen Curtis Chapman concert. Um, and, and I like Stephen Curtis, and he is this Christian um, artist, just a, a godly man from everything that I've seen and read, and his music is, is phenomenal. And so, um, but we go to this concert, and it's an unplugged concert. And so what that means is just our man Stephen on the stage with his guitar, and that's it. There's no opening bands. There's no, no band to surround him to kind of help pick him up, to help, help him insult him. It's just him. And so he's, it was probably, what, two and a half, three hours of just he's going to stand up there and sing and talk and share and do a number of things like that. Uh, we're sitting there, and as we're sitting there, and he begins to play, like I've heard him on the radio, never seen him in concert, and I'm just like, sweet mercy. You guys are good. <laughs> you heard him. We're not that good. And I was just like, the, and it sounded like there was like six guitars at some point. And I'm like, and he's like slapping it and doing things. And I'm just like, what in the world? I mean, this is amazing. And like, I'm just like, like awestruck by this. And so as I watch and continue to watch, I, I can, when I say I can kind of relate, I'm just going to try to my best to pull myself to where Stephen. I've dabbled with guitar, and what I mean by dabbled, I went to a Christian university, and that's like Christian University 101, right? You go, and if you're going to go, you've got to learn to play the guitar. Why? Because all the ladies like the guitar, and so, um, and it's of God, right? So we, I get there, and I, and I dabble a little bit, and it took me like, like 10 years to figure out how to play G, C, and so it took me a long time. So dabbling has got me to the point of where I can strum a little bit, and if you give me a capo and give me the G formation of songs... I can play the mess out of some rhythm. Not like these guys, but I can play like in my own head, in my own world. Like I can play the guitar a little bit and, and do a little bit. I just kind of know just, I don't even know if I know enough to be dangerous. I know G, C, and D, and that's every Christian song that's out there. So I can like, I can help lead worship sometimes. So if you ever need me, call me up. I'm sitting on go. Um, but, but I've dabbled a little bit. Now, what would have been different as, as I was there, and I kind of, I, I get what it takes, the hours of practice, the, I just didn't have that commitment to it, the, the, the level, to, the, the work to get to that level, the work that it takes to get there. I, I've seen, I've been around these guys and see what they do. I've been at other churches to see what people that lead worship week in and week out, what they do to, to, to get to that high level. And so as I was sitting there, it, it would have been different as I sat there and I watched and I take in this concert with Stephen Curtis if I would have been like, um, man, I wonder even himself. I, I, I wonder just about him. I, and if I sat there and I thought, like, I wonder how he grew up. 
And throughout the concert, he shares that, and so it kind of plays into it. But I'm like, I wonder, like, really how he grew up, what it was like, what his mama was like. Did she ever yell at him for leaving his guitar out? Did she ever say, Stephen, you haven't practiced three hours today. You need to get in that bedroom. And go. I mean, like, just to start to begin to wonder about him or what was his dad like? Did his dad press him into that kind of stuff? Did his dad play music himself? Did his dad, and start to kind of just try to figure out Stephen as a person and how he, he got to that point. What were they like? If I started to think and be mesmerized by that as opposed to him standing on the stage and playing the guitar, And so do you see what I'm talking about? The two things are different. Being mesmerized by what he can do as opposed to being in awe and mesmerized by who he is. And so I think as believers, we're called to do as it pertains to God. We're called to be mesmerized and in awe of what he can do, but we don't just stop there. We need to be in awe and mesmerized by, by who he is. And I think we're really good at one and we stink at the other. I think we excel at the horizontal. I think we excel at, at this is what God can do. This is what he's done. Look at how awesome and mighty he's brought me through this. He's provided that. He's done that. Oh, God did that. God came through. He accomplished that. God did that. But my fear is that we never flip and allow it to go vertical. Good at the horizontal and crummy at the vertical. And so my fear is that all of that feeds into the natural bent of our heart that we desire only what God can do for us, and we, we miss desiring just God for God. And we've got to move past just the what he can do, and we've got to get to the heart of who he is. And, and so let me, let me try real fast again to kind of illustrate a little better what I'm talking about. When I say vertical worship or, or, or this, this vertical thing that we need to do as it pertains to God. And so, so I want to read some quotes to you this morning. I want you to hear me. They're, they're not inerrant or authoritative. These are just quotes that point us back to the vertical. We're going to see the heart of these men as they share what their relationship with Jesus looks like and, and as they worship who God is. And we'll start to hear some of the vertical. Just listen to their language and their verbiage. The first one I've got is from John Piper, a pastor of a church. He's, he's retired, but just a, a, a godly, godly man, theologian. He says this, he says, this is God's universal purpose for all Christian suffering. Okay, so something we don't like to to talk about. He's going to go towards suffering and he's going to tell us and share where he's landed at what the purpose of suffering is. So God's universal purpose for Christian suffering, more contentment in God and less satisfaction in the world. You see the vertical in that? It's not, oh, God, get me out of it. Oh, God, help me quit. Or, God, can you come through this? It's, no, no, no. God has allowed this to happen in my life, this suffering, this difficulty, whatever it is. Why? So he can get the world out of me. He can break my heart from that, that craziness of just running after the world. I want, I want satisfaction in him and not the world. The next quote I've got is from Charles Spurgeon, yet another just mammoth theologian. He says this. He says, my soul has learned yet more fully than ever This day, that there is no satisfaction to be found in earthly things, God alone can give rest to my spirit. I mean, do you hear the depth of that relationship with God? There's nothing that this world offers that can even begin to satisfy. The only thing that can give my soul rest, my heart rest and complete satisfaction is God and God alone. A.W. Tozer says this, another mammoth of the faith. He says, may may God grant us a desire for God that supersedes all other desires. I mean, listen to us. Who talks like this nowadays? This is what God 
God. I don't care if he does a, another thing for me. I, just, I want him and let him supersede all other things that, that, that even try to drag me away, that try to get my attention, that, that try to fulfill me. Let him be enough. May God grant us a desire, a longing, a heart for is what he says. Uh, my last one is this, and I want to look at John Calvin. John Calvin says this. He says, Christ was given to us by God's generosity to be grasped and possessed by us in faith. By partaking of him, we principally receive a double grace. I just want to push pause for a second because I, like, I'm all about grace, but if I can get a second helping of grace, you know what I'm saying? Like, sign me up. Grace upon grace? Yes! Every time, right? Like, we are grace, but if, if I can get a, a double helping, a double heaping of grace... And so what he's saying here, what he's going to go on to say is by partaking in him, we receive double grace. We get grace upon grace. And then he goes on to say this. He says, namely that being reconciled, that's made right to God, that, that we are being reconciled to God, made right to God through Christ's blamelessness, his perfectness, his sinlessness, that, that we may have in heaven instead of a judge, a gracious father. I mean, look at how he views God. Look at how he views Jesus. Not a judge, but a gracious father. And so this is why I'm always proclaiming the gospel, always preaching the gospel, because the righteousness, the righteous life of Christ, that cross and the resurrection of Christ, the perfection of Jesus is imputed, is given, is put in us so that we are seen as blameless and spotless before God. Church, get your mind and heart around that. When God looks at us, those of us that are born again, those of us who have entered into relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ and the redemptive work of the cross, when God sees us, he doesn't see messed up, uh, shag, shag nasty Scott. What he sees is the blameless and perfection of Christ. What God sees in me today, this very day, is not Scott Miller, but he sees the perfectness and beauty of Jesus Christ. That's what he sees. That's what I get. That's who I am. We're spotless before God, and by no act of our own is that accomplished. No act of anything that we can do. It's all an act of God. He moves. And it's so important that we understand that. It's so important that we get that. That's for every one of us who has come by faith in the cross of Christ. So for believers in heaven, we don't have a wrathful judge. We have a heavenly father. And then Calvin goes on and he says this. He says, and secondly, so that's just the first part of his vertical worship. This, this picture of who he is in Christ, this blamelessness of Christ is only obtained and imputed to us uh, by what Jesus has done. And then he says, secondly, that sanctified by Christ's spirit, we may cultivate blamelessness and purity of life. By the working of the Holy Spirit, by His Spirit, we may cultivate, we may work up and produce and show and be blameless and have purity of life. So, so I want to challenge you as humbly and graciously and yet a little aggressive as I possibly can. So if you're someone who hears the message of grace over and over and over and you say that I'll do anything I want because that grace will be there for me, I want you to hear me say that if you are at that place and you can live that way, act that way, be that way, you're not saved. That just shows that there's not a regenerate heart. But your response to that claim may be, but, but, but Scott, I, I went to the church camp. I've been in church my whole life. I've done this. I've done that. I, I saw the skit about going to hell. 
And you know what I did that night, Scott? I prayed and even asked God to come into my life. Because I just want to press you for a minute, church. Heaven is not a place for those who are afraid of hell. That's not what heaven, that's not what heaven is. It's not a place for those who are, are fearful of hell. No, heaven is a place where we cherish, we value, we lift we want the resurrected Christ. That's what heaven is. It's, it's where Jesus is, and that's the heart and the motivation and the drive. I get Jesus for eternity, forever. That's what heaven is. That's not what hell is, a fear of going there to get somewhere else. And so hear me, if you believe that you can walk and you can live in the way of I'll do whatever I want because God is going to forgive me, that's just not the heart of a believer. That's not the life of a believer. God has set us free to do what? To pursue, to pursue and become what we're called to be. And that's blameless, that's holy, and that's perfect in Jesus Christ. And it starts with a regenerate heart, with the heart bringing, being brought back to life. That's what it starts with. And so we're not going to nail it. We're not going to live that out perfectly. But we're going to stumble and we're going to fall along the way. But Christ is going to be the one to pick us up. That's the whole point of the cross. That's what Spurgeon is trying to say. It's by the work of the Spirit that we're presented blameless, that we're presented perfect in Christ Jesus. And so what we see in all of these men and these quotes is this longing for Christ that goes beyond what he can do for them. A longing for Jesus just for Jesus. Now what we're going to do is we're going to press in. We're going to start to see this start to happen in, in the heart of Habakkuk. So I'm going to ask you if you'd pray with me and then we jump into Habakkuk 3. Father, help us hear what you have to say this morning. God, help us get to that place where we don't want you for what you can do for us, but we want you for you. And Father, that's so easy to look to you for what you can do for us and miss the heart of just wanting you for you realizing that you are good and gracious and that you have given us everything that we will ever need by the way of your son. So Father, do work in me. Change my heart. Shape me. Mold me. God, change and shape the heart of the people in this room this morning. It's your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Habakkuk 3.1. Let's jump in and go. We're going to hit the ground running. It says, it says this, God's word. It says, a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to, and I'm going to mess this word up, but I'm going to give it a shot, Shingnoth. And Shingnoth is just a stringed instrument. So what we see here is that everything that we're going to read this week, the things that we'll read next week, we're going to see that it was set to music. There's a guitar playing, a strumming of some sort of a stringed instrument, probably not a guitar, but stringed instrument that's taking place there. And, and so it's just a little bit strange as you, as you begin to walk through and look at what he's singing, what he's praising God for and singing out to God. Probably not one that's going to hit the charts, so no need to start writing songs over there, guys. Just hang tight for a little bit. Um, but, but listen to what he says. He says, O Lord, in verse 2, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. So what we see taking place here is that Habakkuk has moved from horizontal to vertical. God, I've heard your works. I've, I've heard what you do. I know that. I see that. I've seen your acts. In your wrath, remember mercy. And so Habakkuk's come a long way, hasn't he? You remember him out there on the, on the tower with his chest puffed out, being like, God, show yourself, let's talk. How are you going to answer to this? To he's now at this place? And doesn't God just handle Habakkuk in a very loving and gracious way? Habakkuk's no longer asking just a bunch of questions, just kind of going at God, instructing God. He's no, he's no longer worried about what God's going to do. Instead, his heart has flipped to, God, as you do what you do, just remember mercy. 
God, please don't forget your people. Remember your people. And then we get to three. It says, God came from Timon and the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. And so it's just kind of this thought of Selah. It's just kind of a, a thought to, to step back and just reflect, think about, meditate on all that's been said. And so what we're going to see this morning is that there's this very intense driving song. And this is what we've got going on in, this, in, in the scriptures, but this is what we've got going on at this time in this world. You've got the Chaldeans, and they're on the brink of invasion. They're about to come and overthrow and take God's people because, remember, God hasn't relented. God hasn't stepped back and been like, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to let this happen now. I'm, I'm taking it back. I'm going to allow. God has not relented and stopped. No, his, his word is his word, and it's going to come through, and it's going to happen exactly like he said it was going to. And so what, what Habakkuk sees is that they're approaching. And he knows that God's going to sift Judah. He knows that he's going to take Judah, and he's, it's going to be very painful, and it's going to be very difficult for them. And so what is Habakkuk doing? He's singing about the path and the faithfulness of God. He begins to bust out in song and, and starts to, to worship God and starts to reflect back of God's goodness and God's grace and God's mercy and God's love and how God has always been there and how God always comes through and how big God is and how little Habakkuk is. And so let's, let's look at the song as it continues, as we continue in verse 3. It says, His splendor covers the heavens and the earth was full of praise. His brightness was like the light. I mean, you see Habakkuk talking about the grandeur of God, the, the glories of God, how, how phenomenal God, I mean, his splendor covers the heavens, his earth is full of praise. His brightness was what, like the light, it bl it's blinding? And he's just reflecting back on, on how, how great God is. And then in verse 5, he says this. He says, Before him went pestilence and plagues followed at his heels. And so what Habakkuk does is he begins to remember. He begins to reflect back on, on what? The Exodus. On Moses. So when he talks about pestilence and he talks about plagues here, it's, it's how, did, how did God get his people out of Egypt? How did God rescue and redeem his people? Did they rise up and, and battle the Egyptian army and overthrow them? No. That's not how it happened. They were these weak, puny slaves that needed a redeemer to rescue. And what happens? God steps in and does that. God rescues and redeems. He hears the cries of his people. And we know the story, right? All the plagues start to come and God starts to pour out. We went over it two years ago here as we walked through the book of Exodus. And God begins to pour out all of these plagues. You've got frogs. Like, I'm done there. Like, God, have your way. Amen. Hallelujah. You know, like, there's a frog. I'm done. I'm like, I'm out. But frogs, and then you have the blood, the river turning to blood. You have darkness, the cattle die. You remember the firstborns, they die. And so what Habakkuk does is just remember, by pestilence and plague, you brought us out. God parts the Red Sea and rescues him, and the sea swallows up the Egyptian army. God rescues and redeems. He goes on in verse 6. He says, he stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. And the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. Do you hear how Habakkuk's describing the greatness and the power and the majesty of God? He stood still and he measures the earth. We, we can't do that, but God just stretches out his arms and he, he gets to measure and gauge. He, he looks and as he looks, the whole nations, they just shake and tremble. I mean, the picture that, that, that Habakkuk is painting here I saw the tents of Kushan in affliction, the curtains of the land of Midian, they did tremble. 
Verse 8, was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your, your horses, on your chariot of salvation? He said, you stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows, Elah. You split the earth with rivers. What Habakkuk is doing is just reflecting on the creation of God. I mean, God has done it. He split the earth with rivers. He's created all this, and he's just done it by just, by just speaking it into existence. I mean, who has this power? Who, who, can, who can do that physically, just talk? I mean, we see it in Jesus played out, do we not? Jesus just tells the storm to stop and what it stops. He tells the dead not to be dead anymore, and they're not dead anymore. I mean, what? Power and grandeur is in our God. And Habakkuk's just reflecting all the while the Chaldeans are on the horizon coming for him. And he busts out in song of worship to God. And he goes on in verse 10. He says, the mountains saw you and writhered. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It's lifted its hands on high. Verse 11, the sun and moon stood still in their place and the light of your arrows as they sped at the flash of your glittering spear. So what we see here, what we can draw from this is that this is just a, a reference here uh, when God stops the sun for Joshua. When, when he physically puts, pushes pause. And, and it's so funny because right now, like, like my little guy Bennett, as we drive to school, the sun's kind of, it's up and it's like these, all these colors in the sky and he sees them. And I always go, hey buddy, who, who did that? God? And he'll say something about the sun. And then I'll kind of go into that like little science, what little science I know. But yeah, buddy, do you know that the sun rotates around the earth? Mm. No, the earth rotates around the sun. See, I don't even know. He's got school. But I'll talk to him about how, do you, you know, the sun and the earth and moves around the, the sun, and it just blows. He's like, what? It's pretty data. And I'm like, yeah, buddy, it is. And we'll talk, but, but there was a time where God said, no more. You just stop. Earth, quit rotating. Just be there. And so what happens is God tells, tells Joshua to destroy the Amorites. I want you to destroy this wicked people. And, and he tells them not just to kill them, but I want you to annihilate. I want you to kill anything they own don't touch any of their wealth don't take any of it for you none of their houses i want you to burn it to the ground be done with them and so in essence what god's saying if they got a dog kill the dog if they got a cow kill the cow if they've got gold you don't take any of it you leave it you burn it and so what happens is the battle begins in Israel, they are far outnumbered. God's people are far outnumbered. It, it looks like this will never work. This is a horrible idea. But what happens is they begin to press the Amorite soldiers. And the Amorite soldiers, they're on the run. But what happens is the sun starts to go down. The earth starts to move and rotate like it does every single day. And it's rotating around the sun. And as it rotates and spins, it's starting to get dark. And so Joshua becomes fearful He's not going to be able to complete the task that God has given him. So what does he do? He asks God for a few more hours. He asks God for a few more hours of daylight. And you know what God does? He gives it to him. God pushes pause for a moment. I mean, how crazy is that? And so what we see here is we see Habakkuk remembering this story, remembering these stories and the, the greatness of God. And what happens? They finish wiping out the Amorites. And so Habakkuk's just recalling all that God did to preserve and care for his people. And so what we see with Habakkuk, he's in a tough place. Habakkuk 
in a difficult, difficult place because he's remembering the faithfulness of God in, in dark days past, but he's rejoicing all the more in God's faithfulness. Look as the story continues in verse 12. It says, you march through the earth in fury. You thresh the nations in anger. I mean, is this not just a crazy song? I mean, like, who, who's singing this? I mean, how do we even get attuned to it? Verse 13, you went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. Selah, you pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as it devoured the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. And so what Habakkuk is doing is just remembering how God delivered from slavery, how he brought God's, his chosen people into the promised land. God allowed all that. God did that. They didn't have the power. They didn't have the might. But what they have is God working through them. God works and moves. And so there's just something in, in our Christian culture that just kind of rubs me, that just kind of gets me and agitates me. There's this idea when things really start to fall apart, we should just be glad about that. Oh, great, it's, it's all going south quick, and this is just, oh, it's all falling apart, and this is horrible, and it kind of in our Christian culture, just it's, it's, it's rainbows and sunshine, and that's not the case. That's not the case at all. It comes all fake, and, and oh, isn't God just grand? That's crazy talk sometimes. And we'll be, quote to just, we'll be quick to just quote some verses like Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work together for the good. Yeah, brother, but I'm not at that place right now. It hurts. It stings. This is horrific. And so what I want you to do is I want you to look at how Habakkuk responds. Habakkuk has landed at the place finally to know that, that God's sovereign, that God's in control, that God's working and doing. He's landed there. He's there. He knows. He's seen it. He's had that talk with God. And God has brought him to the point of where he's starting to realize and see and remember. He busts out in song. But, but look at Habakkuk, watch him, because he's going to be straight with us. How do we respond in those times? And look at what he says in verse 16. He says, I hear, and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me, is what Habakkuk says. He's busted out in song, and he's remembering the faithfulness of God, all the while knowing the Chaldeans are about to overtake them, and some pretty, pretty bad stuff's going to happen. He still worships in the midst of that. But he is open and he is honest for us to see and learn from here. And so I want to as often as I can, I believe one of the callings in my life as often as I can is to try to crush this illusion of control in our life. Right, because we live in a culture and a world where, where it's me that's done something, I've done it. If, if, it's up to, if it's up to me, it's up to me. And it's, it's kind of that mentality, that thought that I can control, that I can make happen, that, that I can do. And hear me, there's responsibility. We have responsibility. But the control, the control is in God. And there's this illusion of, of I'm in control. And, and I just want to lovingly remind you that there is no one in this room whose life cannot be forever changed by just simply answering the phone. That there is not one of us here this morning that's exempt from the phone and saying hello and, and hearing the response on the other end that our life cannot be forever ever altered, forever changed with horrific tragedy and news. And so what we see at the heart of this scripture as he busts out in song and he's sharing this, this is what we see as he shares and tells of, of his feelings. 
This is not sprinkle uh, spirit Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's not what this is. What this is is rottenness has entered my bones is what Habakkuk says. He's transparent and he's honest. These are some horrific dark days that I'm upon that are coming upon me. That's where he's at. That's where he's landed. But look as he continues his thought, as he continues to shed light on where he's at. Verse 16 says, Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. What he's saying is, God, I'm not in control. I get that. I understand that. This is horrible. This is hard. I see what's coming. You have pulled back the curtain and allowed me to know. And it's not fun. It's not glorious. It's not sprinkles. It's going to be tough and it's going to be awful. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to wait and I'm going to trust in you because there is coming a day when the things that you've told me, the promises you've made will come to fruition. That you are going to be and do for me everything that you said. I mean, do you remember all that God told him? This is what's going to happen to Judah. But then all of chapter 2 is how he's, how he's talking about how he's going to destroy the Chaldeans, how he's going to use God's people. So Habakkuk's here in this moment saying, God, do what you're going to do. I know that you're for us. I know that you love us. I know that you're leading us to what will ultimately what we need. And in the end, justice will prevail. God, I know that. It's not easy. I don't like it in this moment. But God, I see that's what you're doing. And he just rests in that despite the fact that the Chaldeans are coming. Despite the fact that, that, that bad days are ahead. So in places like Habakkuk 3 here, what, where, where we don't see maybe a direct example of Jesus, what we do see is just this, this gospel rhythm that's just put before us. This gospel rhythm of, of a way of living and trusting and following and desiring God regardless of circumstances. Resting and having this joy that's found in, in God and God alone, not stuff. It's vertical worship. It's not what God can do for me, but who he is for me. And that's where we see Habakkuk's heart start to change and get to. And, and it took him having this deep conversation with God. And God revealing and showing Habakkuk and reminding Habakkuk who God was. And so for some of us in this room, maybe that's what we need this morning. We just need to be reminded of who God is. We need to reflect on all that he has promised and that he has done. He's done. I mean, he's come through every single time. Well, Scott, not the way that I wanted. You're right, because his will and your will usually are two opposite things most of the time, is it not? I know what I want my I know what I want to supersede God with. I know what I want to take for him and ask him to bless and do. I know the things that I ask for and that I want him to just move and be my, my, um, my genie in a bottle or my uh, automatic grocery store to just give me whatever it is that I want. And so my will and his will, do they match up? Am I walking in the reality of what God wants, not what Scott wants? Am I pressing in to see? And there's been many a day where God and I had to have a little talk. And it's always, it's always been a lot like a backache. Well, God, do you not, are you not... Will you not? And he just lovingly says, but Scott, remember who I am? Remember all I've done? Remember my faithfulness? Scott, I want to shape you and mold you. I want to make you into something that's going to bring me glory and going to bring me honor and going to do a work in me far greater than puny old little you ever could do. And God is loving and gracious to remind me. And that's what's happening in the first 16 verses of Habakkuk. 
That's what we see taking place. The difficult reality that's revealed here in Habakkuk is, is a, allowing God to get us to the place where we can be in awe of him regardless of what he chooses to do or chooses not to do. That, that we can move out of the way and let God be God and let God work and move. So, so to close this morning, what I want to do is I want to get us to a place where we can have vertical worship with him. And I believe there's three things that we need to do. I believe that there's three things that we need to do. The first thing is this, three things that we need to remember. The first thing that we need to remember is that he saved us, is that he saved us. It's his grace. He did the difficult work of saving. He sent his beloved son to the cross as a perfect sacrifice for us. It wasn't us. It wasn't us. It wasn't us at our best, but it was us at our worst. It wasn't when you were knocking it out and being super sweet and, and reading a Bible verse and helping the, the, the little old lady across the street. That's when he saved you. He saved you and picked you up from the, mid, uh, from the, the muck and the pit of, of destruction. The scriptures teach and say that, that on our best day, our righteousness is like filthy rags. So when we are knocking it out and we have prayed three times and we blessed our meal and we tucked our kids in and prayed for them and we, we read our little Bible device and we, we had a quiet time and we did all the right things, even in that moment, we need God's grace. We, not, we, need, God, we need God's redemptive work in us. It's not in our best that he saves us and rescues us. He comes for us at our worst. In the muck and the mire of this world, of life, of sin, separation, that's when he comes and gets us. The, the thing that just blows me away and the thing that just helps me over and over and over get to that vertical worship is to remember what he did for me. To remember how he purchased and how he's redeemed me and how he's saved and rescued me. If I had the profile of myself to read and to look at, I really don't think that I would send somebody to die for me. It would be very hard for me to do that. Knowing me. But what's so glorious about the gospel is that Jesus died when? 2,000 years ago. Before we were even a thought here in our parents' minds. Before we were even, uh, even talked about or, or even prayed about. That, that, that God on the cross killing his son knows good and well that you and I, 2019, are rebel. Even in our salvation, we are going to choose to rebel from time to time. We're going to choose to miss the mark from time to time. We're going to be super selfish and want it our way and live our way and do what we want to do and, and go against the very heart of God. Jesus still dies for us, church. You want to get to vertical work? You want to get to that place where you look at God and you, you marvel over who he is, not for what he can do for you, but for who he is. Remember who you are and what he's done for you. That he dies for us and all of our sin is future sin future sin and he knows all of it the wickedness deep within our soul that's still being revealed even at this moment as a believer the things that he is pressing and 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 stretching and challenging and squeezing out of us the first thing we need to remember is that the second thing that we need to remember you want vertical worship is that he is sovereign over all things that god is sovereign over all things always remember and rejoice in the fact that God has not abandoned us to our circumstances. We're not deists. God hasn't kick-started this thing and moved out and just said, good luck with it, trying to figure it out, go at it. No, 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 that's, that's not how God works. God is intentional, he's relational, he's purposeful. 
It, it doesn't matter how dark the night may get. We've not, been, we've not been abandoned to wrestle by ourselves with sin or circumstances or situations, to deal with our dark days by ourselves, to walk through things on our own. Works, that's not what he has done. No, 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 no. He is preordained and he is in the middle with us. He is sovereign. He is in control of the smallest to the greatest of things. To the biggest of mess that we could have made, to the as smoothest transition to whatever we're going through and we're walking through, God is in the middle orchestrating and doing and working all the while with us. He is sovereign and in control. God is always close and present. And then as the band comes back up, the last thing I got for us to remember as we press toward vertical worship and remembering God for who he is and not what he will just do for us. Remember that God started this and that God will finish this. God started and God's going to finish. So, so whatever it is that you're facing, whatever it is that you're going through, God has allowed it. And in the middle of him allowing, God is doing a work far greater than you could ever imagine. Remember, he's sovereign. And God doesn't just respond. God orchestrates. God doesn't just like, oh no, what am I going to do now? No, God is in the middle working and doing. That's what God is doing. In the midst of it, he will accomplish something in it for his glory and your good, I promise. Every time God will accomplish something for his glory and your good. So I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know if you've wandered in here and maybe you don't know Jesus as Lord and maybe this morning the gospel, God has pricked your heart with the reality of who he is. Or, or maybe you've been following Jesus for a long time and you just need to be reminded that we, we've got to get our eyes off of just what he can do for us, but instead marvel and be at all of who he is. But look to him, he is good. He is so, so good. And so whatever God has stirred in your heart this morning, I want to encourage you to respond in a way that he leads. If it's to come pray, if it's to go talk to someone, if it's to pray with someone, if it's to come say, Sky, you know what, I need to know more about being saved. Tell me more about this Jesus that you talk about. Whatever the case is that God stirs on your heart, you be obedient. But he wants to do, and he is gracious and loving enough from what I've learned to do whatever he has to do to get us to the place where we get our eyes off of all the stuff that he can do for us and get our eyes on who he is. So church, you be obedient. Father, we love you. Jesus, we need you. We pray, Lord, Lord God, that you would move in a mighty, mighty way. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. And we pray. Amen. If you'd stand and respond as God leads, Eric's going to lead us this morning.